Well, good morning. Uh, there's a few of you that don't know who I am. Uh, no fault to you. So I was uh, called to be pastor here in 2004, retired in 2020. Probably the only thing you really need to know about those years is three things that, that I'm proud of. We uh, created an elder board. That just really changed the culture of our church, and it's been a good thing. Right, Ben? <laughs> Second thing is did lots of teaching about walking in partnership with the Spirit and desiring to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led people. And that's sort of a goal and a part of the ether around here now, uh, hopefully more and more. And the third thing, it's kind of a trip, triplicate, I managed to talk Pastor Dave, Pastor Stuckey, and Pastor Vanderswag into joining the staff here during that stretch, and that's a good thing. So the reason I'm here today and not some other time is because Dorothy and I are heading off on a mission trip to India. We leave in a month. So we want, I want to do three things today. Number one, I want to tell you something about the work we will be doing, and I'm hoping that a few of you will think it's something you can invest in. Number two, I want to take a few minutes to follow up and sort of put a uh, bow on Pastor Ryan's ser stewardship sermon series with some things that the Lomans have learned about it. And three, I will end you by telling you about a second missionary-type work that Dorothy and I have been doing so we've got a lot to accomplish, and uh, I've got to move fast, so don't blink or you'll miss something. So let me begin by telling you a story. It's about a mission trip that we took in 1997. In 1997, the director of Sudan Interior Mission invited us to minister to the Uduk people of Sudan, and he wanted us to come and stay for a month. He wanted us to speak many times during their annual week-long Bible conference, and for the remainder of the month, in the, in the morning, I would get eight young men that this, this Uruk nation had picked out as future leaders. So these guys were like 19 to 21. And then in the afternoon, I would get the elders of 12 different churches. So this, they had 12 villages, and they had come together for this conference, and I would get the elders from all these churches every afternoon. And uh, so that was uh, just a, an opportunity that I wanted to, to do. Our expenses were projected at $10,000, 1997. We really wanted to go, but we were poor. And the church that we pastored was even worse off than we were. So I wanted to say yes, but I was afraid of the money angle. Because of all the preparation, and we, need, we needed, I can't even describe to you how many shots we needed. If there's an outbreak of yellow fever here, I'm good, I'm covered. You know, and a whole beriberi and a whole bunch of other African kind of sicknesses, just the shots were $1,500. So we had to make up our minds quickly because if we needed those shots, a lot of those things kind of come in triplicates and you got to wait time in between each one. And it was February when I got the invitation and the trip wasn't until October, but I had about three weeks to decide. 
Go, no go. And, I had, and if I was going to say no, I needed to do it quick so they could get somebody else on board and he could start the shots and raising the money and everything. So it happened that I was part of a pastor's group and in a planning meeting, right about that time, I was assigned some responsibilities that were, caused me to be busy working for the pastor's group in October. And I said to the man, I, I, just, I, did, I don't know if I'm going to be here or not. And they said, well, what's going on? There's this mission trip. And they said, well, do you want to go or not? And I said, I want to go so bad I can taste it. They said, well, tell them you're going. And I said, oh, you don't, you don't, I don't have any money, and it's expensive. And, and, and before I knew it, and I'd been a part of that group for a long time, before I knew it, I walked out of there with a check for $500 from this group of, you know, four or five pastors. So I wasn't going to cash it if I wasn't going to go, but here's like, this is, I can take this to the bank, this is $500. So we decided to send out some support letters, and within a few days, I got a check for another $500. As a result of that, it's like I mailed it out, counted to three, and here's a check for 500 bucks in my mailbox. And it was from a beekeeper friend named Jim Hilton, who lived in Grant, and in 1997, he was, he was poorer than we were. So it was the note that was attached to the, to the check that I will never forget. He said, and this is almost a quote, The Lord told Deb and I that he wanted us to invest $500 in a missionary project. We took the afternoon off and went for a drive to discuss who to give it to. After two hours, we returned home completely disgusted with each other because we couldn't agree. Each of us thought the other one was being hopelessly unreasonable. We were at an impasse, and even as we argued, your letter was sitting in our mailbox. We came home, picked up the mail, opened your letter, and wrote this check. Here it is. <laughs> Say hi to the Udiks. So I read the note and I said to Dorothy, I says, I, I can't even imagine where the other $9,000 is coming from, but I know for sure that God wants us to say yes and that the money will be there when we need it. It was true for that trip and it's been true for every trip since and you can see from the pictures that we did go. So let me do part one, India. Live Global is part of a mission agency called ABWE. We have a bunch of missionaries with ABWE. So recently we uh, anointed Mark and Kelsey Riley. Raise your hand, Mark. So Mark's been out a lot of Sundays raising support, and so he's part of this Live Global thing. He's not the only one. So while he was onboarding at Live Global a couple years ago, he told a fellow there uh, named Dean Parnham about me. Basically said, Loman, he's retired, he's sitting home watching Jeopardy all day long. Just call him, he needs something to do. <laughs> so, Dean specializes in American teachers, getting them connected with groups in the third world. And so, Dean, during COVID, called me and arranged for me to teach several groups in India on different occasions through uh, Zoom. One of these involved giving the keynote address at the graduation ceremony of Trivandrum Bible College. This school is located in, and get ready for it, Thiruvananthanampuram, India. 
So when the British took over, they changed it to trivandum, and when they kicked the British out, they switched it back to the way it should be. So a few months ago, Dean told me that this same Bible college had come up with a program to help a lot of church planters and pastors. So there are a myriad of pastors in India. They try to fly below the radar screen, radar screen because, because in India there's radical Hindus who could teach the Muslims something about being vicious and hurting Christians. So they just kind of keep a low profile. The churches tend to be smaller, but these guys are spread out all over the place. They're, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're dirt farmers. They're living hand to mouth. They make about $10 a day. They don't have time to go to seminary and spend a lot of money in education. So the, the school has decided they're going to do a special program where they can bring some of these guys in and give them some training. So they've opened up spaces for 35 people to come to the seminary for an eight-week intensive time of pastoral training. So these 35 will graduate with the regular seminarians and Bible college students at the end of March. They won't have to pay anything. The classes started last Monday, five days ago. So there's a picture there of the first pastor. So he's doing week one. Dorothy and I will do week seven and eight. So that's a picture of class, and so all those eager beavers there learning all they can. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to fly out on the 8th of March, arrive in Trivandum the 10th, preach in a church on the 12th. Starting Monday, I will have five full days to teach the theology of the Bible, what the Bible has to say about the mystery of the Trinity. From there, I go on to the person of Christ, and I'm telling you, in a land where people believe that there's 10,000 gods, this is amazing stuff. There will be a lot to say. I will be in another church on the 19th, and then on Monday, do a second week of teaching, and this will cover the spirit that life, praise God, I get to do three days on that. And then marriage and family. Marriage in Hinduism is horribly broken, and some of that brokenness comes into the church, and marriage in the church in India is a big mess. So Dorothy's going, she's going to help me teach, uh, and uh, there will be some other opportunities with some of the women in the Bible college, I think. So the plan then is for me after that, the second week, to represent Live Global at the graduation, preach in another church on the 26th, and then we get to come home. For heaven's sake, pray for us. India is a mighty stronghold of the enemy. India, did you know this? Now the most populous nation in the world. And if the Spirit of Christ prods you to help us financially, then do that. We respectfully ask that if you choose to help, that not, it's not tithe money. The airfare is around $3,000. We already have our tickets. We've made a further commitment to cover the room and board of three of these students. And that's, that cost us $1,750. And then we have our own room and board, that's $1,200 more. It all adds up to about $7,000. We have invested a respectable amount of money of our own in this, but we would be grateful for any help. So take all that and put it on hold, and I want to go to part two.
and talk about stewardship. So one of the cool things about being retired is you just have a little more time to talk about spiritual things and slow down and do a Bible study. So right as soon as I retired in 2020, Dorothy and I started an uh, adventure. We're still on. We called it Jesus, Our Teacher. So on this adventure, we've gone through Matthew, John, and we just were in Luke 21 this morning. Verse by verse, learning as much as possible from Jesus himself. So every day we imagine ourselves to be sitting at his feet. He is our rabbi. And we are just taking in everything we possibly can take, word by word. And we're discovering that he has a lot to say about uh, finances and so on. So this sitting at the feet of Jesus is what disciples do. So Pastor Ryan has been preaching about being generous. I think that most of what he has said could be summed up by this statement. We should live our lives the same way God lives his. And since our God is a very generous nature, that is the best possible way to be. So that's the right way to think. Live your life the way God lives his. And it is thinking on a very high level. So you may have discovered that just about any biblical topic has many facets to it. Some of you know that I have an engineering mindset, kind of a sort of nuts and bolts, sharp, sharp edges on the, on the corners and so on. And so what I'm going to give you right now is more of a nuts and bolts view of things. And I'd like to divide this into categories. So Pastor Ryan said two. I came up with two more this week, so there's four. Four words. And these just each these deserve a week all by themselves, but we don't have time for that, so I'm just going to mention it and move on. So much of this I've uh, gotten through a concordance. If you get a concordance, some of you have a concordance in the back of your Bible, just look this word up and trace it through, and just amazing things pop up when you do that. First word is reward. So Jesus tells some parables about servants who have had money put into their hands by uh, the lord of the estate or, or somebody that is their boss, a wealthy master. He instructs them on his way out the door, because he's going to go away, to put the funds that they now have in hand to the best possible use in his interest. So in Jesus' story, the master finally returns and rewards them in, in proportion to what they have accomplished with it. So Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 27. Then the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. So that word reward when you go through something word by word by word, then words pop up, and that's, that's, uh, that's an important word. I looked up the word reward and found this verse, last page of your Bible. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. So this, this is a thing. So Dorothy and I, you know, we have debates, and she does not lay down and play dead. I'm just telling you. If I say something and she just thinks, I get it back at me. 
And so back and forth talking about this, and we have decided that Jesus is not lying about this. <laughs> In addition, so just think about this a minute. In addition, we think that the rewards that Jesus intends to give will be worth having. Is that a stretch for you? Ever go to the county fair, you know, and you're tossing bean bags at milk bottles or darts at balloons, and they go, oh, you won, you know, and he reaches under the counter and gives you a little plastic Cupid doll about four inches tall, and you go, why was I working so hard to get this reward? That's, Jesus is not going to hand out a plastic Cupid dolls. So it follows, if those things are true, that if we get serious about using our resources to fund the things Jesus wants accomplished, that we will, when Jesus returns, be very happy that we did. It's, it's logic. Not as high level of thinking as Pastor Ryan has been leading through, like God lives his life this way and you should live the same way, but it is, necess- it is tr- also true. Rewards are a thing, and they are intended to motivate us. So we decided we're going to be motivated. Second word, reimbursement. So this is sort of an odd thing, and uh, haven't thought in these terms before. A few weeks ago, we read this verse. Luke 14, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the the blind, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So it happens that the resurrection of the righteous is going to happen at the time that Jesus returns. So this is the same time period he mentioned in the previous passage. And he says, you will be repaid. Well, that, isn't that an interesting concept? So here's the big picture. When we use some of our resources to support God's kingdom causes, so it doesn't have to be a mission trip. It can be a benevolent need or it can be anything. God intends to reimburse us. Here's another thing about divine reimbursement. God doesn't just reimburse us on a one-to-one basis. A little while ago, I did a project for the church. I spent about $600. I gave our treasurer, an invoice with all the, you know, the slips of paper from Menards or the hardware store, and she gave me back exactly, to the penny, how much I spent. Jesus isn't going to do that. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. Now that... Man, I wish Debbie would do that when I did a project. <laughs> so is Jesus lying? I, I, don't, I don't think he is. Someone asked me a year ago, Pastor, do you have to tithe, do we have to tithe on our net or our gross pay? So that's a practical question. I laughed and I told them what the Lomans did. And then I said this. Jesus wants you to do whatever you want to do. 
But the way you ask your question tells me that you don't quite get what's going on here. Third word. So, Pastor Ryan, these are the two, like, surprises, okay? So, you can uh, shut off my microphone if you want. <clears throat> so, spiritual alchemy. So, do you know what alchemy is? In the Middle Ages, they spent a whole lot of effort and somersaults trying to turn gold or lead into gold. So, they didn't succeed very well. But if you can pull it off, uh, do it. So, Jesus has a better plan than that. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven. So the idea here is that money is very shaky. And if you don't believe that, listen to the news. I listened to a Newt Gingrich podcast with a, a chairman of the Federal Reserve and it scared the bejeebers out of me. So there's all kinds of things that can happen to your money. Inflation, scams, market crashes, just anything. So one answer to this dilemma is to use today's money to advance the cause of the kingdom of Jesus. The effect of this is not only that work, that the cause of Christ it gets advanced, but just in terms of the value of the money expended, the effect of this is to convert your present iffy money to money of heavenly worth. It's sort of heavenly coin, if you want. Of course, this heavenly wealth is received later, but there's some faith there, and again, you've got to believe Jesus means what he says, and he's not lying, and he's not trying to scam you, and I, I think we can all suppose that that is the case. So Dorothy and I have just taken, tried to take the radical step of taking Jesus' words at their plain meaning. That if he says, you know, you should store up treasures in heaven, that, that we'll be glad if we do that. So that doesn't mean you can't. Like, we had a, a trip scheduled to go to England. It was a cruise and everything. And, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus didn't want us to go. That's why he broke Dorothy's shoulder. And we didn't get to go. I don't know. But we'll make a we'll, you know, we intend to do something like that again. It's not like you have to take every dime and do that with it. But So the, third, the fourth word, divine investing. So I'm going to flip this idea on its head, so don't just daydream the next 10 seconds here. We're not talking about you investing in the work of God. I'm talking about God investing in you. That kind of divine investing. Luke 16 has more to say about money than any other chapter in the Bible. It is there that Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you, so he puts it negatively, if you cannot be trusted with worldly wealth, 
who will entrust you with true riches? So we've got this two-tier idea of like the like clay worldly wealth and true riches, and it ends with this question, like, so I'm gonna, there's a negative statement, I'm gonna make it positive. Do you want to be the kind of person that God would say, I can entrust real wealth into the hands of this person because he is someone that I am convinced, God speaking, knows what to do with it. That's, that's God investing in us. So Dorothy and I read that and we said, sheesh, we want God to trust in us. We want God to invest in us. So we need to show ourselves faithful. So I'm going to move into just a short little section here and I'm way uncomfortable in talking about this in these terms. Dorothy's more, less comfortable than I am about it. But I want to, to just give you some hard data. The Lord knows I'm... I, I, we, we would... We would be nothing apart from him. And I also recognize that Dorothy and I are in this, the time of our life that's a lot less complicated. Our kids are raised, the weddings are paid for, the house is paid off. So, so your life just kind of, it's kind of a surprise when you retire. If you've gotten out of debt and, and everything, that just gets kind of smoothed right out and they hardly have any bills coming in. And it's just kind of a cool thing. You've, what I'm saying is that we've got more money to throw at the kingdom of God than somebody that's just trying to keep their head above water and keep shoes on the kids and everything. So what I'm telling you what we're doing, maybe it's something you can aspire to, maybe you're just not at the place of your life where you can do this kind of thing. So I, I get that. I also know from Luke 21, which is the first thing that happens in the chapter we're now in, that when that woman puts in the two little copper coins, that what she does and what Jesus says about it throws everything up in the air and you just cannot possibly make a judgment about anyone else about what they're doing. That's true. And I'll tell you something else. After Dorothy and I have done what we've done, we have a whole lot more left than what the widow did. So she's up there and we're down here somewhere. So when we retired in 2020, we started our study on Jesus the Teacher. And it wasn't long before we ran into some teaching about money, as I've said. Dorothy leaned closer to me, and I, I am never going to forget this. Our knees are touching, you know, our laptops are there, and we're, we've written down what we write down, and now we're talking about it. And she said, we don't really act like we think Jesus knows what he's talking about here, do we? And my heart stopped for about four beats, and I hung my head, and I wanted to argue, and I wanted to point to what we were doing good. And, and I, I just, I hung my head and I agreed. So this is within a month or two after we retired. And so we decided to take some money every month and put it in an envelope. We ultimately started a checking account that just was for this. 
and we just we just do stuff with it. Support a missionary, just use it for kingdom of God kinds of stuff. This was not our tithe. This is after that. We give our tithe to the church, and that's that's kind of unbreakable law, at least in our house. So I said that we, actually the truth is, Dorothy was driving this more than me. I'm, you know, I'm the Hollander, I've got both hands on my wallet, you know, and, and she's talking, and I'm going, this is going to cost me money, I know it is. <laughs> so, So we did that. Fast forward to the 3rd of January last year. So it's a new year and just kind of thinking about the year ahead. And, and so we decided that we were going to take dual tithe like we always do and take that same amount and put it in the envelope. So it's basically a tithe extra. So that's not a particularly noble thing. We still had a lot of money left over. But my testimony this morning is that the moment we did that, that got God's attention. Because very intentional, very, very uh, kind of programmed. Three days after that, my phone rang and someone asked me to do a big job. So pretty much the increase that God gave us was pretty much all work. So you you got you young people that think that we walked out and there was money growing on a tree somewhere, or something like no, it was it was more it was more work. So when you retire, you have two kinds of income. There's your fixed income. You you could you could stay in bed, 168 hours a week, and that money's gonna get land in your checking account, Social Security, that kind of stuff. And then there's the earned income, like you go to work. And you find, you know, find somebody that's willing to pay you to show up and do a job and everything. So that's earned income. Our earned income last year, so the, th- the 3rd of January is when we made that decision. I've got a pile of W-2s at home now and I added it up. I was kind of surprised. 40% more than the year before. And the year before number was no slouchy number. And it started three days after we made this decision to get serious about, about investing in the kingdom of God. While it was still January, I'm now in part three. While it was still January, someone emailed me from Tanzania, Africa. So that doesn't happen every day. Although you get more emails from that place than you think. Just go to your spam folder. <laughs> this person's name, he had no, he had no formal Bible training. He's, he's pastoring a church in western Tanzania. This is, this is the frontier of Tanzania. A sun-baked place. Had no formal Bible college training, couldn't afford any. He had Googled the word discipleship, and down the page a little way, he found our church. Think about that. So he went to our church webpage, 
fiddled around with the different pages, found the place where it says our pastors, so I'm not really an active pastor, but I'm still, last time I checked on the page, Pastor Emeritus, he found my email, emailed me, and I get this email from somebody I'd never heard of before. I do not have words to describe how suspicious I was about this. <laughs> I asked him for a picture. So he sent me a picture. I went and found him on Facebook. Same guy. He said that since our church was so into discipleship, could I disciple him? His name was Reuben James Nataya. Here's a picture of his family. So I told him I had written four discipleship books and that I could send him an electronic version of the first one. He wanted this, and so that's what I did. All along, he would ask Bible questions. Thought, you know, thought, thoughtful Bible questions. So I would answer the questions. Along the way, he told me a little bit about life there. I told him a little bit about life here. We got to know each other. He had a deacon in his main church who had an engineering degree from a European university. His name was Charles, and he had pretty good English skills. So I found out later, Charles was doing most of the writing. So they worked their way about halfway through the book, and I could tell that they were reading it. So I wrote the book. So, you know, like I know they're, they're, they're connecting dots, they're connecting an idea with chapter, in chapter 3, with one in chapter 5, and, and they were reading it. So I'm going, what scammer would read this? That, that, that's not going to happen. So it didn't prove anything. So I decided that these guys could possibly be the real deal. So love hopes all things, believes all things. So I decided to send them $50 to see what they would do with it. So I figured out how to do that in Western Union, told them about how to pick up the money at this Western Union office. And here's the picture I got back. What they did is bought a box of Bibles hopped on a motorcycle, the two of them, and put a box of Bibles uh, between them on their lap and drove 50 miles to one of their daughter churches. So he started four churches. So he went to one of them with a box of Bibles and handed Bibles out to the congregation. There was only one person in that church, their Bible teacher, that had a Bible. And so this is a picture of these people receiving a Bible for the first time in their life. And I got on my knees and I said, man, that is a good use of $50. So over time and about 75 emails and about Bible topics and the Lordship of Christ and so on, it became harder and harder for me to imagine that some scammer was doing this. So as Reuben and Charles neared the end of the discipleship book, I gave them this assignment. When you complete the study, so this is no small book, not a pamphlet. When you complete the study, I want you to write an essay about how this has changed your life, what you've learned, how you think this will make a difference in your ministry, and so on. So this is the letter I got back in March. So you need to remember, this is, this is in the middle of nowhere. These guys have hardly any education. They, they, any middle schooler here that's paying attention knows more about the Bible than these guys. 
Dear Brother Mark, warm greetings. We have come to the end of book one. We have encountered several challenges between finding the time to study, health problems, and other things, and it hasn't been easy. However, God has blessed us to accomplish our ambitious assignment. We must say that chapter one was hard because it contains some scientific things. There's E equals MC squared and all kinds of stuff in there. We now see that how the universe has been created by God, though. It wasn't an accident, as some say today. It is well arranged and organized by our wise and powerful God. We now see that we have a, had a too small view of God. With the help of your book that is based on what the Bible says, we conclude and rely on the fact that God not only created the universe, but he is our own personal creator as well. Moreover, God is more than we, what we see and think. We should put our confidence in God, not because of the physical things we can see and touch, because, but because of who he is, the mighty creator. In your book, you mentioned the story of King Ahaz. He had the same great God that we do, but he did not submit to trust him. This is an alarming story to our present life. We may say we believe in God, but then fail to put our trust in him and as a result end up in troubles. Our prayers are not answered, not because God is unwilling, but we have missed the crucial praying tracks. Faith, trust, and confidence in God. We see that we have worth because God has made us using himself as a pattern. We can create and manage and change and control our surroundings. And sin is not just a slip. Brother, it was a deliberate rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. So this is, I write a lot about, they, like they've got it. That, that repentance is more than just saying, oh, well, I'll stop making those mistakes. It is, I'm going to stop rebelling against the authority of my God. In spite of God's warnings, they chose to pay more attention to the lying serpent than to God. We know that we must choose God's ways instead of our own ways, otherwise terrible consequences result. At the heart of it, sin is rebellion against God. Our tendency to rebel is what we must be careful of. Rebellion does not come from the outside, but from the desires that rise from our own hearts. The excuses, lies, and defensive arguments we make to cover our sins prove what rebels we are. People pretend not to be sinners and we destroy our hearts when we refuse to see ourselves so. God is righteous and just. He is the standard of right and wrong, as are his spoken commandments. Having violated his commandments, our only hope is the rescue he performed on the cross. There is no way to escape the consequences of our sins apart from the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. Sin is always punishable by death. God punished our sin by punishing his son. Jesus Christ, this is a major point and a truth to think about. Every Christian must understand the weight of it. Before now, we have often said that Jesus died for our sin, but it was said lightly and without thinking. You have put it clear, Brother Mark. God punished our sin by punishing his son. We have taken this truth too lightly. We must have complete confidence in God and his provision. What God says in 1 John 11 and 12 is true. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, yet to all received him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
We have tried our best to write down some of how your book has helped and changed our lives. We remain waiting to hear from you. They always say that. For the points we have missed or understood, we wish to acquire your correct Bible knowledge. Sincerely, Reuben James Nataya and Charles Moses Montagna. Where am I here? So these men decided to translate this book into Swahili. And then once that was done, to use it to disciple other pastors and believers there. I also discovered that they were doing all their studies on a cell phone with a cracked screen. I sat down and imagined Pastor Stuckey or Pastor Dave not having a laptop and trying to prepare lessons this way, and that was just unthinkable to me. So we bought him a Dell, bat, Dell laptop. You have to go down to some cafe in the middle of their town to access the internet, but that's what they do. The plan was for Charles to translate the book, and when that work was complete, they would each lead a trial group. I gave them pointers about how to lead a group like this, ask probing questions, keep an eye peeled for someone who could be a leader, and fix errors in the draft copy of their book. They finished the book, found a store in town a day's bus ride away where they could make copies. They made 20 copies, and they ran their two trial groups. As the discipleship groups went through the books, much spiritual growth happened, and Charles did a lot of editing. Around Thanksgiving, they printed up 50 copies. On December 3rd, they went to Shalengwa Village and called the people together for an intensive weekend of study. They were going to go through the whole book in one weekend. It happened that a teacher in the local secondary school got wind of what was happening and he and his students attended. Reuben and Charles didn't have enough books for the church folk and the students, so the church voted to give the books to the young people, hoping to get replacements later. On Christmas weekend, my two friends went to another of their daughter churches and did another weekend of study. On that occasion, several families made the decision to follow Christ. They went back the following weekend to baptize the new Christ followers. So I have skipped a whole lot of what is happening in our partnership between the Lomans and these two characters in Tanzania. Suffice it to say that I absolutely have no idea where this is going. They think I'm the younger brother of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> they want me, every time they send a letter, they ask me, when are you coming? This is not an easy place to get to. And I don't even want to think about the diseases. They're always coming down with typhoid. And typhoid is because of, of fecal material that's got into the water, always. So they don't have clean water. But having said that, I think, I, I just don't think there could be a better way to spend a few dollars and put resources into the hand of this man and his deacon friend. I think it matters to God and I think that God likes it that it matters to Dorothy and I. 
So just Thursday, Charles completed his translation of book two. He sent me an email. I'm going to read it to you. It's a shorter than the last one. So that book is called The Great Partnership, and it is about walking with the Holy Spirit in partnership with him, him being the greater partner, obviously. Dear Brother Mark, and warm greetings to you and our mom, Dorothy. They say that a lot, too. They think we're twins. <clears throat> we are glad to inform you that ultimately we have finished translating the Great Partnership book. The way forward is to produce some copies for group studying, just as we did in the first book. This will also give room for grammatical correction in some paragraphs. From the studying groups, we will be coming up with some questions as raised by our students for more clarification before we produce more copies for reaching out. We know that you will be preaching in your home church this Sunday. We are praying for I am to use you in that service. We also pray for your intention to share with your audience about the ministry you are doing with us in Tanzania, and we really appreciate your idea. The pictures you will be showing may speak a lot to their hearts. So the reason they think this is a good thing is what I'm going to say next. So that they can be impressed to send you to Tanzania and stand with you through the whole ministry. May I am give favor to you before his people, your home church. Warm greetings to Dorothy. We humbly wait to hear from you. Thank you, God bless you, yours sincerely, Reuben James Nataya and Charles Moses Monsanya. So let me end this by making a connection for you. In my story about my beekeeper friend, Jim and his wife, first concluded that God wanted them to invest in his kingdom work. And it was after they decided this that God showed them what he wanted them to do. In the case of the Lomans, we decided the first days of 2022 that after we tithed, we were going to invest an equal amount in whatever kingdom of God work that he pointed us to. Three days later, someone asked me if I wanted a job. Three weeks later, Reuben reached out to me from the backside of nowhere. Six weeks after that, I was talking on Zoom to the president of a seminary in India, the same place where we are going in five weeks. It was a crazy year. Somewhere in the middle of summer, when Dorothy and I were passing like this, you know, me going somewhere and sure going somewhere else. She said to me, Loman, doesn't feel very much like we are retired. <laughs> I said, nope. But it does feel like we're being useful. There is a God and he cares deeply about this kind of thing, and he has put so much into our hands that can be used to move his kingdom forward. I come to you in all humility. I know that pastors often, some of their role is to live before their people as an example. Hopefully it's a good one. I am surprised, as surprised by this as anyone here. I shouldn't be. I hope that our story has been 
and encouragement to you.